All right, good morning. Happy New Year. Uh, it's, good to, it's good to be here all with you this morning. Hey, before we jump into today's uh, message, um, I got a few just uh, quick announcements for you. Uh, first, I don't think of any better way to celebrate the new year uh, but with baptisms. And so uh, on January 15th, we are having our next baptism class. And then very shortly after that, we'll be having a baptism Sunday. So if your next step in following Jesus is being baptized, then we want to invite you to come and be uh, a part of this class. Uh, and also, uh, coming up in January, we're having or we're launching out our next round of refuge recovery groups. And so, uh, if this is, uh, I say this to everyone, everyone needs to go to refuge at least once in their lifetime. Uh, these, these groups are so transformative. So maybe you're here uh, and you uh, are, are looking for something different. You want things to be different. Maybe you don't even know what needs to be different. You just know something needs to be different in your life. Then I want to encourage you to uh, join and participate in our refuge recovery group. So you can go online and find out more there. So cliches, we all use them, right? Life is full of them. We say things like, uh, there's plenty of fish in the sea. Uh, someone woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. Um, every cloud has a silver lining. That's right. All is fair in. That's right. When life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, right? So we, we, we have cliches. Life is full of them and we use them all the time. And so the dictionary defines cliches is as an idea or phrase, <clears throat> which has been used so much that it's no longer interesting or effective and no longer has much meaning. And so here's the thing about cliches. We all use them, uh, and we say them to people, uh, but we hear them so much when people say them to us, it's kind of like white noise. we just like, yeah, 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 whatever. We don't really pay much attention to them. Uh, and so we just kind of blow them off. And so uh, everyone here, uh, we're all guilty of using these cliches, uh, and we say them usually when we don't know what else to do or what else to say. Uh, someone's hurting, someone's there, they're, they're, they're going through something. Uh, let's just say someone's going through a breakup and you want to help them feel better about uh, going through that breakup. And you say, well, you know what? There's plenty of fish in the sea. And like, well, th like that, that's probably true, uh, but that doesn't really help with the pain of the breakup. But you want to know something else that is cliche uh, that we still use? New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions. For about 200 years, we have been making New Year's resolutions. And so since I'm preaching on the very first day of 2023, I know it's cliche for me to ask this, but who in here has made some resolutions this year? Uh, okay, a few of you. All right, there's a few of you. Um, how many would be willing to say, I've already broken my resolution? <laughs> We're about 11 hours and 30 minutes into 2023. Okay, no one's brave enough to admit it yet. But, uh, but for 200 years, we've been making resolutions. But also for about 200 years, we have been breaking our resolutions. And so I want to let you in on a little secret this morning. You guys ready for this? Resolutions don't work. 
They don't. They don't. Uh, actually, there's a new study that just came out, uh, I think just a couple of years ago, that says resolutions that are made on January 1st uh, typically only last about 32 days, with the vast majority of them being broken by day 14. That's crazy. But we know that resolutions, we know they don't work. But with all the good intentions, we, 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 we just hold on to hope that they do. And so since we know that they don't work, have you ever wondered why we continue to make New Year's resolutions? <laughs> I think we continue to make New Year's resolutions because we look at our lives and we want something to be different about it. We want there to be change. We look at this new year ahead and, and we want something to be transformed about our life. We want something to be different about our life. And so we, we continue to make them even though we know they don't work. We make them because we want to we wanna lose weight. We want to uh, get healthier. We want to read our Bibles more. We want to increase our prayer life. We want to improve our relationships. We want to get more sleep. So whatever that is for you, we see something about our life and we want it to be different. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I want to give you the secret sauce for having a different life. I want to give you the secret sauce for transforming your entire world. And it's not going to be a, a better workout routine. It's not going to be a, a Bible reading plan that you'll actually complete. Uh, it's not going to be, hey, here's three steps to improving your prayer life, or here's two tricks to improve your relationships. But I promise you, I really do believe this, that if you grab hold of these two principles that we're going to talk about today, that if you grab hold of those, if you put all of your effort and energy into these two realities, rather than your resolutions, uh, then your life, your faith, your relationships will be radically transformed. What I want to give to you today are two cliches. There are two Christian cliches, things that have been uh, said over and over again that when we hear them, we just kind of blow them off. We're like, yeah, 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 that's like, we, we get that, we understand, but, but, but they don't really mean much anymore. But I promise you, if you put all of your, your faith, your hope, your gaze, your wonderment into these two realities, I promise you that your life will be different. And so that's what I want to encourage you to do today is to trash your New Year's resolutions Trash all your, your uh, things that you're going to do to improve yourself and just put all of your focus, all of your energy, all of your gaze, all of your wonderment into these two biblical realities. That sin that you've been struggling with all the way uh, up till 2023, you can finally gain victory over it. That, 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 that guilt and shame that has been hounding you through the years, you can finally have that off your back. And so what are these two cliches that is actually going to work towards transforming us? Well, if you're ready, let's turn with me uh, over to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1. You guys there? All right. <clears throat> See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. 
The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You ready for Christian cliche number one that's going to radically transform your life? God loves you. God loves you. And we hear that. That's a biblical truth. And we hear that so often that we just kind of blow it off, don't we? It's become kind of cliche. Like you're going through a difficult time. If someone just came up to you and says, hey, it's okay. God loves you. You're like, yeah, 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 whatever. I, I, I know that, but that, that doesn't solve my problem right now. We just kind of just, kind of just blow that off. But John is using this word here. He says, see. Uh, some Bible translations might have behold. And he's wanting us to see. He's wanting us to behold. He's wanting us to look into. He wants us to pry into and reflect on the greatness of the Father's love for us. And so that's what we're going to do this morning for a little bit. He says, see. He says, see what? See what kind of love the Father has given to us. He's inviting us to spend some time looking into the depths of God's love for you and for me. And truly, we could spend all of eternity mining the depths of God's love, and we would never reach the end of it. And what John's saying, he's saying, look, behold, see that this isn't a ordinary kind of love. This, isn't, this is a love that's not of this world. It's, it's a different kind of love that you have ever experienced in your life. It reminds me of little Ralphie from A Christmas Story, right? He wanted a BB gun, right? But he didn't want just any average run-of-the-mill BB gun, right? He wanted a Red Ryder carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle. He didn't want some ordinary BB gun. He wanted the BB gun. And so this is what John is saying here. He's like, this isn't an ordinary kind of love. This is a different kind of love. It's a love like you've never experienced. It's otherworldly. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 8, verse 27. And what's going on here in this verse is that Jesus is in a boat with his disciples and uh, a great storm came up, and Jesus uh, said, Peace be still, and calm uh, the wind and the waves. And then this is the disciples' response. Verse 27, he says, And the men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? It's the same uh, translation. It's the same word that's being here as the what kind of love, what kind of man is this? And, and this kind of man is different from the rest of us. And it's the only kind of man, the man Jesus Christ, that can give us this kind of love. This, this Jesus was fully human, but he was also fully God. And so he's not giving us this human kind of love. He's given us this divine love. Now, human love, it's great, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's awesome. I mean, just think about that, that moment when you hold your child in your hand for the first time. Like you just wonder, how can I love somebody or something even more than this? Think about that time you fell in love with your, with your, with your wife or your husband or you fell in love. I mean, you feel like Leonardo DiCaprio, don't you? I and mean, you feel like you're on top of the world. It's just wonderful. Like you, like you, it's, just, it's just so great. And human love is wonderful. But here's the fundamental flaw with human love. 
It has its limits. Human love is limited. We're limited in our capacity to love one another. Uh, we're, we're limited, human love is limited by responsibility, isn't it? I mean, we have responsibility. It would be great and wonderful if the objects of our love, we could sit around all day and just love them and care for them and just shower them with our love, but we have things to do. Uh, your kids need you. Your spouse needs you. Uh, work uh, deadline is looming over your head. Uh, the, your to-do list is getting longer and longer. And as much as you would be, uh, want to just kind of be around just loving someone constantly, you have things that need to get done. And so you have responsibilities that you have to take care of. Human love is limited physically. We have physical limitations, don't we? Uh, we get tired. We get sick. We get hungry. Um, when our kids get sick, you know, we, we want to be able to shower them with as much love and affection as we can. But then we have, um, we, we, we get tired and, and we, we are kind of losing sleep and we're not able to fully be present for them. Uh, even as I was writing this message, uh, my wife, Kate, she ha- had a bout of vertigo uh, and she needed lots of love and attention and care. Uh, but in the midst of that, uh, I had an appendicitis, and I had to have, go have that removed. And so as much as I wanted to love my wife and care for her, I couldn't because I had physical limitations from recovering from surgery. And so we just have limitations that go along with that. We're limited emotionally, aren't we? We're, we're, we're limited in how we can love someone emotionally. Look, we all here, we have stories, and we all have relational hurts in our past, Some of you have experienced different abuses. Some of you have experienced different traumas. And and, and because of that, because you've been hurt by others in relationship, uh, maybe you're you're fearful of fully giving your heart to another person. Or or maybe you're sitting here and like, I I can get this close, but I can't get this close. And and because of our hurts and our woundings, uh, even though we, we may want to, we're limited in how we are uh, we can love someone because we hold back, because we just are too afraid we're going to get hurt. Who in here has be, ever been in a relationship where you had to walk away from that relationship? I mean, you loved that person, you cared for that person, uh, you want to be in that relationship with them, uh, but, but that relationship was, was causing you more hurt and more pain and more trauma and more wounding, so much so that you had to walk away. We're limited emotionally. We're limited spiritually. Who in here has been sinned against? Yeah? Who in here has sinned against somebody? Right? And, and so instead of loving that person, we sinned against them. Oh, instead of receiving the love from that person, they sinned against us. So we are limited spiritually. We're limited by our sin. This is human love. And the vast majority of our experience with love has been human love. But John here, he's inviting us to look at this divine, limitless love. So what does this look like? Let me just tell you, God does not tire of you. God is not sorry that he got involved with you. He doesn't feel stuck with you. He isn't just tolerating you. He's not looking for an exit strategy out of his covenant of salvation with you. 
He is powerful enough to hold all of your sin, all of your hurt, all of your hangups, all of your flakiness. And here's the good news for all of us. God loves high-maintenance sinners. (laughs) And that's all of us, right? God's not neutral towards you, even though at times we may be neutral towards him. He isn't eyeing you with negative scrutiny. God's not waiting to see how things are going to turn out. He's not like, all right, well, let's see how this plays out. No, no. he knows how it's going to turn out with you, and he still says yes to you. He knows you fully, and he is for you. Now, it's hard for us because of our experience with human love. It's hard for us to imagine and comprehend a love like this. And it's really hard for us to even, as we even look at our own selves and our own sinfulness, to see how can we be deserving of this kind of love. And if we're honest, like we, we don't deserve this kind of love. Uh, but to God, that's not a reason not to love us. It's, it's all the reason he loves us more is because we are so undeserving of it. Uh, my son, Ethan, he's, he's 18 now, but when he was probably three or four years old, I remember sitting on the couch with him. And he looks up at me and says, Daddy, are you happy about me? And I said, of course I'm happy about you. Why would I not be happy about you? And he says, well, you have a really angry look on your face right now. He says, you look like, he goes, you look like this. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I must have been thinking about something or whatever. Uh, but he was just curious, but he saw my angry look and he was wondering if I was happy about him. I wonder, as you imagine your heavenly father looking at you, what kind of look do you imagine that he has towards you? Is it an angry look? Is it a frustrated look? Is it just like, I just wish they would get their stuff together? I mean, come on. Or when you see your heavenly father, do you see him smiling down on you? as a father who loves his son and cares about his son or his daughter. And he's beaming ear to ear because he's so proud of you and he's so in love with you. How do you imagine that God is looking at you in this moment? I hope that you see that he is looking down on you, delighting in you. See, the beautiful thing about God and that the fact that God loves us is that love is who God is. It's, it's, it's his character. See, 1 John, uh, John uh, goes on later in his, in, his, uh, in his letter and says that God is love. Not that he feels love, not that he has love, or that he shows love. He does all of that, but that he is love. God, uh, love is God's character. It's not simply an emotion or feeling that he has. And God's love for us is not dependent upon our behavior. Uh, It doesn't depend on if we perform well or do well or if we don't sin or if we do good. Uh, God would not be God if his divine character was dependent upon my behavior. Like how small of a God would we serve if his divine character, his divine nature of love was dependent upon whether I behaved well or not? See, God's love for us, it doesn't begin when we get our act together. It doesn't begin when we start to get with his program. Uh, It doesn't begin when we start cooperating with him. Uh, God's love begins when we are hostile towards him, when we are against him, when we are combative, when we are rebellious. 
Look at Romans 5.8. Probably the, two of the best words in all of Scripture. But God. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, we didn't have to clean up our act. We didn't have to get our stuff together before he started loving us. He did it while we were still sinners. He died for us. You still don't believe me when I say that God loves you? Turn with me over to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 38. Romans 8, 38 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you still have doubts, I saw this illustration. I want you to know this morning how wide, how high, how long, and how deep God's love is for you. And so how wide? How wide is God's love? Well, it's wide enough to be everywhere. This is how wide God's love is. There's no place on this planet where you can go and escape God's love. God's love is everywhere. There means there's no place in your life. There's no place in this world, in this universe, that you can go where God's love is not. And there may be times where you feel lonely in your life, when you feel all alone, and you may not even be aware of God's love. But whether you're aware of it or not, God's love is there with you in that moment. How long? How long is God's love? It's long enough to last forever. This makes it different than any kind of human love. Um, remember, human love has limits, uh, but God's love is long enough to last forever. Uh, human love wears out. God's love never wears out. God will never, ever stop loving you. No matter how many times you, you go back and you leave and you go back and you leave and you go back and you leave, no matter how flaky you are, God's love keeps showing up, uh, being there and loving you because his love is eternal. How deep? How deep is God's love? God's love is deep enough to handle anything. No matter what pain you're going through, no matter what problems you may have, no matter what hurt you are experiencing, God's love is still deeper than that. You say, well, Tim, now I, I, I'm like, you, you don't know, but I'm, I'm really going through it right now. Like, I, 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 like I've, I've never been at such a low point in my life. And let me just say, God's love still goes deeper. It runs deeper than any problem or pit you may be in. What about height? How high is God's love? It's high enough to overcome your sin. It's high enough to overcome your sin, to overcome your, your faults, to overcome any mistake you've made. Because of Jesus Christ, God is able to, to look at you and forgive you and overcome your faults, your failures, your flubs, your rebellion, your sin, no matter what that is. He, also, he offers his forgiveness through Christ because of his love for you. And here's the beautiful thing. Because of that, he gives you a fresh chance to start all over 
to start anew. And this is the kind of love that God gives to us. And that leads us to the next Christian cliche that will transform your life. Look back at verse 1. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The next Christian cliche I want you to, to grab hold of is, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. John uh, says that God's limitless divine love is what makes us one of God's children. Now, there are some translations, and I think this is the, the best four words in this whole passage, and so we are. There, there, there's uh, some translation use the phrase, and this is exactly what we are. I th- those are my favorite four words in the, in the entire verses here. We are a child of God. This isn't just a religious term used to describe a theological certainty. This is a supernatural reality for everyone who has been saved by Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I want to put uh, some, some parameters around this. Only those who have been saved will grasp the reality of what it truly means to be a child of God. It's popular in our culture to say that we are all God's children. Let me just say we are not all God's children. I wish that were so. Jesus wishes that were so. It says in 1 Timothy 2 that Jesus desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's my desire. That should be your desire. That's Jesus' desire that we would all be God's children. But unfortunately, we are not all God's children. We have not all been adopted into the family of God. Only those who Jesus has saved, only those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, those who have awakened to this reality of God's love, can be known as the children of God. But here's good news. Let me just say this. Our first point, the fact that God loves you, that applies to every single person in this room. Whether you know Jesus or not, I want you to know right now, God loves you. And you may not follow Jesus, you may not even love Jesus, but I want you to know this morning that God and Jesus, that they love you. It says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so here's the good news for you. If you're here and you've not put your faith in God, if you've not put your trust in God, if Jesus has not saved you, the good news is is that Jesus loves you and the invitation to come and be one of God's children is open to you this morning. You are not excluded from this invitation. And, And that really, you could leave here today with these two realities being true of you, that you are loved by God and that you are one of his children. You can have this today. I want us to take just a moment to think about this. That Remember those four words, and so we are? 
I want us to just think about this for, for just a moment. Because God has given his love to us. We are God's children, and so we are. Well, we get this, right? We don't pick our parents. We don't get to pick our parents. Uh, I know some of you are probably like, if I, I wish I could, I would have picked different parents. Um, and Lord knows our kids did not pick us, right? Uh, but the only way that we get to pick our kids is if we adopt. And this is what happened. And this is what I want you to see, that God chose you. He handpicked you. God loves you. He takes the initiative to save you. Uh, he adopts you. And then he lavishes his love upon you in the most undeserving manner. And then when you look at your sin and you look at your rebellion in light of God's love, it should absolutely just blow our minds. It would be like if the uh, Golden State Warriors came up to me and said, look, we're, we, we, we need a new franchise player, Tim. Uh, we're replacing Steph Curry, and we are choosing you. We're going to sign you to a multi-million dollar uh, contract, a multi-year contract, and you're going to be our new franchise player to replace Steph Curry. And then I would look at me like, who, me? Like, you know what you're getting, right? A 45-year-old dude that's out of shape, hasn't touched a basketball in any real meaningful way since high school. Um, I'm a white guy who can't jump. I mean, like, you, you know, like this, like, you know what you're getting, right? And it's like when, when God looks at it, like, as I choose you, you're like, Lord, you know what you're getting here, right? A 45-year-old man who's got a habitual sin problem, who's probably a little flaky, who gets hangry when he doesn't uh, get fed on time. Uh, it, it, like, like, you know what you're getting yourself into, right? And he's like, yes, I still choose you. One biblical writer, he, he, he says this about adoption. He says, adoption is a legal action by which a person takes into his family a child who is not his own, who has no rights within the family in order to give the child all the privileges of his own children. Now, here's the thing. In, in Roman law, when all this was being written, uh, and, and it's kind of with the same with ours today, uh, an adopted child was entitled to all of the rights and privileges of a natural-born child. But there was one difference. The one difference is, is that in Roman law, a father could disinherit the children. If the children didn't behave well, if the children turned out to be disappointments, in Roman law, the father could remove uh, them from the estate, all the money, all the title, all the land, all the privileges, all the rights of being called a son or daughter could be removed from that child but they could not do that for an adopted child. Once an adoption took place, it was final. There was no takebacks. So essentially, no matter how bad or how awful that child turned out or how disappointed, uh, disappointed that the child was to the family, that status of that adopted child could never be revoked. And it's the same with us as our adoption as God's children. Our status as God's children can never be revoked, no matter how bad we may turn out. All the rights and privileges and status as one of God's children is ours, and so we are. 
think it's funny sometimes when somebody says, hey, are, are, are you a Christian? Sometimes our answer is, is like, well, I, I'm trying, or, you know, uh, like, I'm, I'm working hard at it, as if it requires effort on our part. To say that really doesn't mean, means that we don't have the grasp, the understanding of this little phrase, and so we are. Because it teaches us that being a child of God is a standing. It is there. It is final. It's a, it's a, it's a legal position. John doesn't say that we hope to be children of God or that we're trying to be children of God. He says, and so we are. See, here's the thing about my kids. My kids are my kids. They either are or they aren't. There, there is no in-between. Um, maybe sometimes they don't want to associate with me as their father. Maybe sometimes they're afraid to be with me, seen with me in public uh, because I embarrass them. But still, that doesn't make them any less my kids or any, me any less their father. Guess what? There is no such thing as a 50% kid. Have you ever heard of that such a thing? Your child is either yours or they are not. There is no in-between. It's like what Yoda says, right? right? There is try, there is no try. You either are or you are not. And it's the same way of being a child of God. Either you are or you are not. There is no trying to be. See, when my kids are behaving well and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and maybe they, they do something I'm really proud of, you know, I'm like, hey, look at my kids. I want to I brag on them. I want to like... like did you just see what they did? Isn't that awesome? Like, I'm proud to be their dad in that moment. But when they're messing up, I look at my wife and say, hey, do you know what your kid just did? <clears throat> I kid, I don't say that. <laughs> but see, even when my kids are misbehaving, even when my kids are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, even when my kids are, 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 are having trouble and difficulties in their, in their life, it doesn't make me less of a father. In fact, it is in those moments where I feel more like a father because my kids are in trouble and, and they need dad's help. And so I want to come in. I, I want to be a father to them in that moment. So, so their struggle and their difficulty really makes me feel and want to be more of a father to them, not less. I hope my kids have never said this, and I don't think your kids have ever said this. But my kids have never gone to the room and said, you know, I've really been screwing up lately. I just, I wonder if I'm going to be Tim's kid next week. I don't think they've ever thought that, and I hope they never do. Uh, but, but they're my kids. We don't lose our status. My, my kids have never lost their status as one of my children. Why? Because they are. And so we now, I get sometimes why we have such a difficult time believing this, this reality, because our experience has been with human love. We've grown up in a world with parents and siblings and, and coaches, and, and um, unfortunately, sometimes even the church, where we dish out small doses of love and affection and affirmation based upon performance. And some of you grew up in a world or in a home where, where love had to be earned. 
that you had to do something great and wonderful, even just to get the smallest amount of like, eh, good job, you did what you were supposed to do. And we, we, we grow up in places where the constant message is that you're not good enough. You don't earn enough. You don't learn enough. You're not performing well enough. And if you think about it for just a moment, our culture right now is on this steroid moment of cancel, cancel culture. To where if you don't say the right thing, if you don't do the right thing, if you don't bear the line, if you don't toe the line, uh, then you are going to get canceled and there is zero possibility of redemption, isn't there? And this is what should be driving people to the church because the church is the message of redemption. That God's love says no matter how messed up you are, guess what? My, my love is for you. And so as God's children, we don't earn his love. All we have to do is we just have to simply accept it. And because we are loved by God, and because we are adopted into his family, that means things are going to be different for us. This is the transformative part. This is where our lives begin to change. Look down here in verse 2. It says, Beloved, we are God's children when? Now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. See, because we are now, not in some future sense, but in this very present moment, because we are now God's children, our life begins to change. Think about the, the moment of your adoption. Think about the moment of your salvation. Uh, isn't your life different now than it was then? I look, at, I look at my life, and it's way different than the trajectory I was on when Jesus saved me. But from the moment of our adoption, our lives begin to change. Transformation begins to happen. And really, we, what we end up doing is we spend the rest of our lives becoming what we already are. Uh, when Kate and I got married, uh, the Bible says that the two become one. So, so when you got married uh, to your spouse, two become one. And so in that moment, when you say, I do, you immediately become one. But as you progress through your marriage and you progress through the years, you become more and more one. You become more and more of what you already are. And so... Uh, Today, Kate and I, we feel more one today than on our wedding day, but we were already just as much one then as we are now. And so we've spent all these years becoming more of what we already are. And it's the same that is true for us uh, when we are adopted into God's family. We just spend the rest of our lives becoming more of what we are. So this transformation we know isn't immediate, it is in one sense, but it's always slow and deliberate, becoming more and more, uh, leaning into this becoming a child of God. But here's the beautiful thing. John's talking about the now, but he's also talking about the future. John says that when we finally see Christ face to face, that our journey of transformation into what we already are will be complete. 
And what does this transformation look like? What's it going to be? It's to be like Christ. As children, what do we want to do? We want to bear the family resemblance. Think about when someone's born. They're like, oh, he has his father's eyes, or he has his, his mother's nose, or his, he has his uncle's ears. Or like, when we're born, we bear the family resemblance. And so what John is doing is he's telling us, these are all the realities of what you are now. That God loves you now. That he is your savior now. That you are God's children now. And all of the rights and status and privileges are, are, are what you are now. That we are God's children. And so what are those rights and privileges that come along with that? Well, the Bible says, now... We are loved by God. The Bible says that we are now a child of God. The Bible says that in Christ we are now strong. The Bible says now we are more than conquerors. That now, that in Christ, I am forgiven now. I am chosen now. I am complete now. I am sufficient in Christ now. All of those things are true about us now. But John is pointing to this future reality. John says there's waiting something else is waiting for us to be revealed in us. That there's something in the future that God is waiting to reveal. It's kind of like those cheesy late night commercials where it says like a, for $19.99 now, you get this and this and this and this but if you act now, he says, but wait, there's more. This is what John is saying right here. Like, like, you are God's children now, and all the rights and privileges that come with that you get now. But he's saying, but wait, there is more. He's saying, you're loved by God. You're a child of God. But there's more. In the future, we shall be like God. We will share in Christ's glory. It, we we kind of dimly see it in this moment right now, but in the future, we are going to be like Christ. What is one way that we are going to be like Christ? The first thing this makes me think of is that we are going to be given glorified bodies. How do we know this? Well, like look down here at verse 2. It says, Beloved, we are God's children. When? Now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears that we shall be like him. So we know that him right here is Jesus, right? So when Jesus is revealed, when we see Jesus face to face, we are going to become like Jesus. Does that mean that we're going to be the second person of the Trinity? No. Uh, does that mean that we are going to be God? No. Uh, it can't mean that. that. So, so what does it mean? Well, we know that when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, he was given a glorified body. And his glorified body was to never die again. John, who also wrote the book of Revelation, he identifies Jesus in the book of Revelation as the one who was dead and is now alive forevermore. So like him, our resurrection will come with a glorified body like Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information about what this glorified body is going to look like or what it's going to be like, but it does give us some. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says he describes our glorified bodies as eternal. 
They will live forever. Our glorified bodies will be immortal. They will no longer know death. And I think this next characteristic is one of my favorite characteristics of our glorified body is that they will be recognizable. We'll know one another in heaven. I, like You'll look like you. I'll look like me. Only better, right? One of the questions I get a lot, asked a lot as a pastor, especially around funerals, is will I know my loved one in heaven? Will we recognize one another? And the answer to that, I believe, is absolutely yes. Like when I get to heaven, all the loved ones that I have longed for and missed, when I get there, I will see them. I will recognize. I will know it is them and they will know it is me. And here's uh, what I think is also beautiful is the special relationships that we hold here in this uh, life on this earth. When we get to heaven, that relationship, that specialness of that relationship will continue. I think of some of my best friends, Pastor Ty, Pastor Nick, and Pastor Terrence. And I take great comfort in knowing that not just now, but for all of eternity, these are going to be some of my three best friends for the rest of for all of eternity, not for the rest of my life, but for all of eternity. My relationship with Kate, when we get to heaven, uh, it's not going to be like, hey, what's up, dude? Uh, like, we're, we, I think we are going to carry on a special, unique relationship with one another because we are going to know of our relationship here on earth. This past year, a spiritual father and just a dear friend of mine, Gilbert Williams, uh, passed away. And to me, he was pops. And I take great comfort that from now, even into eternity, I'm going to call him pops. He's forever going to be my pops. And I need to know right now, this is, pops is up there. He's looking down on me and he's waiting for me. And it's not that he's just up there waiting and looking down on me. I think he's up there cheering me on as I run my race. And so all of your loved ones that are in heaven right now, they're cheering you on as you run your race. This is what we have to look forward to. What John's doing here is he's giving us this glimpse of a future for us. And he's saying, no, you get all of these things as being a child of God, as being loved by God. Here's all the rights and privileges and benefits that's going along with that. He says, but wait, there is more. You have a bright future ahead of you. It's so bright, you're going to have to wear sunglasses. I think that when we start doing baptisms, we're going to start painting out a pair of sunglasses because your future is so bright. This is what we have to look forward to. Now, some of you are here today, though, and you would say, Tim, all I see in my future is more of the same, more hurt, more pain, more agony, more struggle, just more of a difficult season. And I get that. And my prayer for you this morning is that as, as you hear how much God loves you and you hear how you, you are a child of God, unfortunately, because of God's love, and because we are God's children, it does not exempt us sometimes from pain and suffering in this world. But what it does give us is that even in those dark moments, even in our seasons of struggle, that God does not move away from us, that he moves towards us, and that he's with us even in those moments. 
And so I just pray that if you are in that moment today, that, that, that God would just lift your head just a little bit to open your eyes and to just see his great love for you. If you're here this morning and maybe you're not hurting, but you know someone that is. I pray that this morning that you would just not offer them a Christian platitude or a Christian cliche. That you would just not say, you know, every cloud has a silver lining, but that you uh, would walk up to them and just be a presence of God's love in their life. You don't have to say anything to them. You can just be there and be a presence of God's love around them. And when their head is too uh, weighty to lift up, that maybe you would just help lift their heads and point them to Christ and just remind them of God's love. This is the hope that we have. This is why we, we, we look at this world, we see all the struggle and all the difficulty. Yes, we see that. We want to have, be realistic about that. But I also want you to point to you to something beyond that, something better than that, something greater than that. And that is yours because God loves you and you are one of his children. Now, as we close this morning, I'm usually pretty aware that there's typically two types of people that are in this room. One type of person, maybe you are adopted by God. Maybe you have awakened to God's love for you and you've been adopted into this family. But the other type is maybe those who, yeah, maybe you know God loves you, but you really haven't been adopted into his family. Maybe you don't yet follow Christ. So I want to offer two things to both of you. First, for those who do follow Jesus, those who have been adopted into God's family, I really this morning don't have any practical application for you. I don't have, here's do these two things and call me in the morning. Or here, do these two things and you'll understand God's love better. But it is my prayer, it is my hope that you would enter 2023 with the confidence and assurance of these two realities. That you would spend time thinking and meditating on these two things that have become so cliche, but they are so foundational to your walk with Jesus. That you never lose sight, you never move beyond, you never graduate from the reality of just understanding and knowing that God loves you. A lot of Christians have a life verse. And so if you don't have a life verse, let me just encourage you. Right? These are two really good verses to make your life first, to memorize them and hold on to these and think about them constantly and just ponder these two truths. And this morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ, I just want to let you know that these two realities can radically change your life. They will change everything about your life. Uh, if you awaken to the reality of God's love for you and the truth that he wants to adopt you as his son or his daughter, I promise you that if you awaken to these two realities, your life will never be the same. First and foremost, you will be raised from death to life. 
and all the rights and status and privilege of being one of God's children will be yours. And so if you're here this morning and you have awakened to this and you would say, Tim, I, I, I get, I see for the very first time God's love for me. I, I hear a God's invitation to become and be adopted into this ragtag family of God. Then I just want to encourage you, don't start 2023 anymore. Don't, don't take another step in 2023 until you firm this up. So you can leave here today knowing your adoption into the family of God is secure. And we're going to tell you how to do that in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, we love you. But what's most important in this moment is that you loved us. You loved us so much that you came and you sent your son Jesus to give his life on the cross. Here's the beautiful thing about that. Jesus didn't just do that because he was commanded to by you. He did that because he himself loved us. And he willingly laid down his life for us. And because of that, that one act allowed the possibility for our adoption. So Father, we, we praise you for that. And we just ask this morning that you would just continue to push that and press that into our hearts. That if we get and understand the reality of how much you love us and how much we are God's children, that all of the things that we turn to for, for, for love and approval, those, those things will, will, won't really matter so much anymore. And the more we awaken to your love, it becomes more and more of the thing that matters most. So, Father, for those who are here tonight or today and just who don't know you, Father, I just pray that uh, you would awaken them to this truth. Father, we just ask that you would save them and that you would adopt them into this family of God. We just pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.